Romans for as long as God says so, but he's moving us in a different direction. And that's a great introduction because that picture, that, that, those words, what Jesus did, um, keep that in mind as you hear what God has to say today. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am amazed at such grace, such love you had for us, for me. You would endure that for me, that cross. Take on my sin and you took my place. I am amazed. I pray that you would help us to stop and stand amazed in your presence more often. Contemplate what you've done for us. Because Lord, when we do, we, we find the proper motivation that we need to be the people that you call us to be. And it's not guilt and it's not fear. Lord, we're going to talk about what that motivation is today. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just speak to each heart. Each person here today is a person you love, a person you died for. And I just pray that you'd communicate to them today your word, your truth, and call us, Lord God, to higher, holier, more devoted living to you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're over halfway finished with 2019. Can you believe that? And in five months, we'll be entering a new decade as we begin 2020. I remember as a kid hearing something like 2020 and thought, that's way out in the future, five months away. When you hear those two numbers, 2020, some of you may think of a news program, but what do you, what do, what do you think of? 2020, vision. What kind of vision? Perfect vision. What does our Lord Jesus have in store for his church here in the next decade. Anybody know? What does that tell you? If you don't know, then what does that tell you? You think he wants us to know? So what is we what do we gotta do? <laughs> listen I believe he has many wonderful things for us in the next decade more new different same much we don't know at this point however I believe he wants to show it to us probably not all at once 
But certainly, he wants us to have an understanding of what he has in store for us as a church. And it probably won't be perfect vision as we perceive it or understand it. Because we're imperfect people. But that doesn't mean we still can't seek him and prepare for what he's bringing our way. So starting today, we're going to begin to consider what that vision might look like according to his word. And by the way, God's word is still the primary way God communicates with his people. Don't forget that. It's not dreams and visions. It's not other people. Can you speak through those? Yes, but this is his primary way. And if you hear something out there that doesn't line up with this, then it wasn't from God. So we're going to consider from God's word what uh, God would want us in the next decade. Many times, you know, when people talk about a vision or direction for an organization or a church, you hear about what we're going to do. And certainly that will be part of this series of messages, but that's not where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with a vision of what we are to be. What kind of people does Christ want his church to be? Because before we can do, he wants us to be. Be who he wants us to be. And being always comes before doing. I remember in one presidential campaign years ago, we were still living in Louisiana. And you may guess, and I'm not going to call any names, but those, some of you will guess which president campaign I'm talking about. But this man had, this the candidate had been involved in some immorality. And uh, the bulk of the nation, it seemed at the time, were saying, we don't care about his character. We just want to see and know that he can do the job. And he can do the job because he's proven that in an a state leader position. And we don't really care what he's doing as character goes. We care what he can do for our nation. Is that you think what is right? Or do you think that being is first of all most necessary? You see, we can do a lot of things, but if we aren't who we ought to be, then being, and I mean, then doing is useless. So what is the Lord desires to be. He desires us to be a people devoted and loyal to him with all of our hearts. God began to speak this, well, it's been many years, but this week I heard two messages back to back, one Wednesday night, one Thursday morning. And both of them had that same theme of being devoted to the Lord with all your heart. And that's when I sensed and began to know that God was wanting to shift gears for us in the next several weeks, maybe next couple of months even. God wants us to be a people devoted to him with all of our hearts. And there's no limit to what God can do with a people devoted to him with all their heart. There's no limit to what God can do through a people devoted to him or even a person 
devoted to him with all their hearts. King Asa, when you read the kings and the chronicles in the Old Testament, you will find very few kings who were good kings, but King Asa was one of those good kings. And if you look in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, it says that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. Now, he was part perched in between a lot of wicked, evil kings, but he did what was right for most of his reign. But at the end of his reign, something happened. The king of Israel, see, Judah and Israel, yeah, they were all Israel, but Judah was the southern kingdom. Israel was the northern kingdom. The kingdom was divided after Solomon's death. And Israel became the northern kingdom, and actually Israel and Judah began to fight some. And Israel comes against Judah, and instead of seeking God as he had done all his reign, he seeks the king of Syria. He sends word to Damascus, come help me against the king of Israel. And here's the message that he got from God about that in chapter 16 of verse 7. It says, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord at that time, he delivered in them into your hands. Now, this is where we come to verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal, devoted, committed to him. You see, God desires and God deserves our Lord Jesus Christ, what you just saw in that video, that life, that man that died for you and me. He deserves to be to have a people devoted and loyal to him with all of our hearts. So when I heard that this week, I said, I wonder how many times that phrase appears in the Bible. Well, it appears quite many times, but they all fall under seven main headings. And we're going to look at those seven things. Interesting, it's seven as it's the perfect number, as it's God's number. But what is God referring to when he speaks of our hearts? Well, you know, it's that muscle that beats in your chest, that pumps your blood, which, by the way, the Bible says the life is in the blood. But our hearts are the core of our being. It's what drives and motivates us. The heart operates the will. It's where commitment comes from. The heart is where trust and love and devotion and loyalty come from. 
Maybe that's why God said, or his word says in Matthew 4, I'm sorry, Proverbs 4, keep or guard your heart with all diligence. Pay very close attention to your heart. What goes in, what goes out, pay very close attention. Guard it. For out of the heart flow, spring all the issues of life. The heart is the core of who you are. Jesus said in Matthew 15, it is out of the heart that evil thoughts and murders and fornications and adulteries and all evil comes from the heart. So the heart is the core of everything that we are. Science has even demonstrated this. At the School of Nursing at the University of Hawaii in Honolulu, researchers sought to evaluate whether there were any changes experienced by organ transplant recipients and did that parallel to the history of the donor. And so they focused on 10 patients who had received heart transplants. And they found several parallels between the post-surgery recipient and the, pre, the, the donor that, of course, is deceased. And they noticed that things in the recipient paralleled quite uh, similarly to the life and history of the donor, simply because they had received that person's heart. For example, the recipient in this study, they found changes in his or her taste in food, music, art, recreational and career preferences, in addition to certain name associations and sensory experiences. In this study, it pointed out a patient who had received a heart transplant from a man who was killed by a gunshot to the face. And the organ recipient reported to having dreams of, being, of, of, of seeing hot flashes of light directly in their face. Another case was an eight-year-old girl who received a 10-year-old girl's heart. After her operation, she began to have nightmares of a man trying to kill her. Her dreams were so vivid that she had to see a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist heard these uh, descriptions and it was so uh, vivid that he actually believed that her descriptions were real, based on real events. It was found that the donor of this girl's heart was murdered. And the recipient had such vivid nightmares, and she was able to describe the murderer in detail that the police were able to find the man and arrest him for murder. The heart, it's the very core of who we are. It even is the seat of our emotions, our memories, our will, our everything. So when he says, with all your hearts, he's meaning with all that we are. The Lord desires and deserves a people devoted and loyal to him with all of our hearts. The psalmist prayed, give me an undivided heart. Why would he pray, give me an undivided heart? Because like you and me, we realize how easily our hearts get divided.
They get distracted with many things. Some are evil. But if you're trying to follow the Lord, most of the things we get distracted by are good things. But they're not the best things. God wants us to have an undivided heart. And so seven things God tells us we're able to do with we're, we are to do with all of our hearts. And on these seven things, God's vision for this church is going to be built. And we're going to look at the first one today. With all my heart, you can probably guess it, can't you? I will what? Love the Lord, my God. Deuteronomy 6:5 is where we first hear this. He said in verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is the core of your being. Love Him with everything you are. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, what is the greatest commandment of all the, the law? How do you read it? What's the, what's the greatest? And Jesus answered and said in verse 37 of Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a quote of Deuteronomy 6.5. Jesus was quoting. And then he said, This is the first and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord. What we just saw is Brian saying. You saw love, didn't you? The love of God poured out for us. He deserves no less from me than from you. The mission, as you see printed on the back of your bulletin of Dawson Street Baptist Church, this was written probably about 15 to 17 years ago by a... a team of people that were praying and seeking God for what God would have us to be about as a church. And you notice the first phrase, the first two words of our mission is what? To love. To love God. You see, that has to come first before we serve God, before we worship God, before we give to God, before we go with God. We must love God. It's the greatest commandment. And it's the greatest commitment. Coming up Tuesday, Hannah and I will celebrate 31 years of being committed to one another. To me, that's the greatest earthly commitment a person can make. But it's not the greatest commitment you can make. The greatest commitment you can make is to love the Lord your God, to give him your heart. You see, that's what he wants. He wants your heart. Because you see, 31 years, God forbid, could end it. Because it's till death do us part. But the greatest commitment to love the Lord my God, how long does that last? Forever. 
In Luke chapter 7, we read a, an account of a Jesus uh, being invited by a Pharisee to come dine in his home. And I'm going to paraphrase the story for you, but it's found in Luke 7. And, in, and there, a woman showed up. She must have found out that Jesus was going to be there. And, and so she showed up. And uh, she came into the house, and it says uh, in verse 37 that she was a sinner. And we know that this was uh, one of the Marys. It was, it was uh, a woman of the evening, if you will, an immoral woman. But she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. One gospel says it cost a whole year's wage wages. So she spent a year's salary. And she stood at Jesus' feet, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and she poured out, poured out that fragrant oil on Jesus. And the Pharisee said to himself, If Jesus only knew who this woman was, he would not allow her to touch him. Well, Jesus, like he can with all of us, read his mind. And said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon said, say it. And that's where he said there was a certain creditor who having who had two debtors. One owed $500, we'll say, and the other 50 When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both, canceled the debt. He said, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she, what? Loved much. You see what love does? This woman was committed to Jesus Christ more than her salary, more than her reputation, more than anything. She wasn't worried about money. She wasn't worried about what people thought of her. She was committed to the Jesus Christ because of what Jesus had done for her. Now, we were moved by that song in that video. But will we be moved tomorrow by it? Will you be moved the next day before, by, by what Jesus has done for you? Will it make a difference or is it just an emotional experience that we get to have a feel-good moment in our worship service? Do we love the Lord? It's the greatest commitment. In John, we read the apostle writes of himself at least four times, this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He loved to refer to himself like that, to the disciple whom Jesus loved. To me, it sounds a little arrogant. Well, he loves me. He doesn't really love you, you know. But, but that's not the way it's meant at all. But we find him in John chapter 13 at the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, the disciples are all seated around the, the table. And uh, where's John? He's leaning up against Jesus' chest. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, there he is leaning against Jesus' chest. When you come to the foot of the cross, all the disciples had forsook him and fled. But the disciple whom Jesus loved, where is he? At the foot of the cross. When you come to the empty tomb, 
Where's the disciple whom Jesus loved? He's there. When you come to the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, some disciples were not there. They were still in hiding. But where's the disciple whom Jesus loved? He's there. You see, when you love Jesus and you're experiencing his love for you, that is the greatest commitment. You see, that leads us to the next point. The next part of this uh, message is when you love the Lord like that, it's evident in your commitment. It's evident in your commitment. You know what's sad to me in this generation of churchgoers? And this is true across the board. And I know this is not true for every single person in this room. But commitment is falling by the wayside. We're committed to a lot of things. As Jesus told Martha, you're distracted by too many things. And we have churches now that when people ask, how many people do you run in church? I said, you mean where they run or that they actually come to church? And how many do you run? I said, well, that's a tricky question. Because we have about 300 or so, but it's not the same 300 every week. Because we have some half-timers, we have some part-timers, we have some quarter-timers, and then we have some full-timers. So it's really hard to say how many we have coming. I don't really know. Because commitment is falling to the wayside. You say, well, you're talking about being committed to Jesus, not the church. Hmm. Shall I go there? What is the church? We are the bride of Christ. Are we not? We are the what? Body of Christ. It's very difficult to separate Christ from the church not that the church is Christ, just like it's difficult to separate God from his word, not that the Bible is God, but you can't separate the two. You can't say I love Jesus with all my heart and be a half-timer to his church. That means you have a divided heart. Your heart is somewhere else. Commitment tells the story of where your heart belongs and who has it. It provides the greatest compulsion. Loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, which he deserves, provides the greatest compulsion. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ compels us. You see, people who love Jesus don't have to be guilted to tithe. Or to give. You don't have to have a cause to give to. I just have to see the vision of this church before I'm going to give. So are you giving to the vision? Or are you giving to Jesus? I just need for the preacher to preach right. Shorter, more biblical, less convicting, and then I'll start giving. Or whatever. What are you giving to? Who are you giving to? Is it the church? Is it the Lord? Again, it's hard to separate. People who love the Lord with all their heart, you don't have to beg them to serve. 
They're compelled. You can't keep them back with a team of wild horses. They're eager to serve. They, pat, they say, Pastor, where can I plug in? And after they pick me up off the floor, I try to tell them where they can plug in. <laughs> the love of Christ compels us. I'm compelled because I love Christ. Believe me, I'm just as convicted as you feel right now. Because this is the message God's preached to me this week. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it for these people? Is it for a paycheck? Or is it for me? Am I doing it because I love the Lord with all my heart? Am I compelled by that? Is that what motivates me to get up out of bed and to do the things that I know God wants me to do? You see, when I love Him, I don't have to read my Bible. I want to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I desire to be in God's presence and pray. I don't have to witness. I desire to tell others about this great God who loves me and that I'm in love with. I'm not ashamed of Him. I love Him. I've told you this story before when Tan and I were first married and uh, she had not, I'd been in Eunice already for five years and, and we get married and, and I bring her there and, and all this and we're going around greeting people and speaking to people and she asked me one day, she goes, are you ashamed of me? I said, no, dear, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud of you. Then she says, why don't you introduce me to your people? I said, well, number one, duh, it didn't dawn on me. I'm sorry. But it broke my heart to the, that, that that's true. I'm proud of her. I love her. Because I love her, I'm, I want other people to know her. And by the way, she's the best thing since sliced bread. And y'all just don't know what kind of pastor's wife you have. That woman, when I get off track, you don't think I get off track, do you? <laughs> Ike knows better. God has given her a gift not to, to know when I am off track, even without me saying it, and give me godly counsel and help. You see, if you love Christ, you want to introduce him to people. It's the greatest compulsion. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, you know the church of Ephesus. Jesus gave them some great commendations. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know you can't bear with those who are evil. I know that you've tested them who say they're apostles but are not, and you found them liars. I know you've persevered. You've had patience. You've labored for my name's sake. You've, you've not become weary, but I have one thing against you, and you know what that one thing is, don't you? You've left your first love. Why do you do what you do? Why are you teaching Sunday school? Well, nobody else will. Really? Is that the only reason? Or is it because you love Jesus? Why are you here today? Well, it's Sunday. It's what we do. Or is it because you love Jesus? You see, these questions are coming to me just like they're coming to you. A vision begins with a people that are in love with Jesus. It gives us the greatest compulsion to do what God calls us to do. But this command, this 
loving the Lord with all of our heart is the greatest challenge. In John chapter 21, when Jesus was appearing to the disciples, you remember Peter denied him three times, and now he's asking Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? You remember what he asked the first time? He said, Peter, do you love me? And this is what hit me this week when I read this. And it wasn't in preparation for this message. I read it in my daily Bible reading. Do you love me? Who knows what the next phrase is? More than these. More than these. Boy, that, I couldn't let go of that. What did Jesus mean? Well, he could have meant the disciples. Because Peter had boasted, hey, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die for you. But he didn't. He, he denied Jesus. But I asked, or the Lord was asking me, do you love me more than you love your wife? Do you love me more than you love your children and their spouses? Do you love me more than that little grandbaby? Jesus said, if you love father or mother, son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Then it was as if I had to consider everything else. Lord, uh, Lee, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your ministry? Do you love me more than your church? Do you love me more than your income? Do you love me more than your reputation? Do you love me more than these? It's my greatest challenge to love the Lord more than anything else. And it's going to take what Brian had us singing about all morning. It's going to take amazing grace to love the Lord with all my heart. But I have to give him time and opportunity. I've got to, I've got to bring something to the table. But lastly, to love the Lord with all of our heart provides the greatest connection. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Each time Peter said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And each time Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He said, okay, Peter, if you love me, then pay attention to these people out here. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But the second is like unto it, you shall Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart provides the greatest connection with other people. You cannot love as you ought to love, even your own spouse or children or grandchildren, when you're not fully devoted in love to the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John 4, we're taught the same thing. Let us love one another for love is of God. He said in verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who loves, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. So you see, it, it's the greatest commandment, the greatest commitment, the greatest compulsion, the greatest challenge, and the greatest connection. And when we understand that that's what we're all about, what God wants most is for us to love him with all that we are. Do you love Jesus with all your heart?
How do you know? What evidence is there? You see, if I say I love my wife, there should be some physical evidence that I love her. If I say I love my children and my grandchildren, there should be some physical, visible evidence that I love them. If I said I love football, but I never watch football, what would y'all call me? A hypocrite. If I said I love ice cream, but you never see me eating ice cream, what would you call me? Oh, crazy. <laughs> A liar. If I said I love Jesus, but you can't see any visible evidence of that outside of the four walls of this church, what would you call me? A hypocrite. You see, our Lord Jesus desires and deserves a people devoted and loyal to him with all our hearts. And that begins with loving him with all of our heart. We need grace. I believe this morning every one of us desires that. I hope you desire that. I want to believe every one of you here today desires to love the Lord like that. I do. I want to. I cannot say I am convinced that I'm there. But I'm definitely going to be moving in that direction more and more. Would you be willing this morning to say that to the Lord? Lord, give me an undivided heart. Remove, help me to get rid of all these things or to push these other things out of the way and put them where they belong so I can love you undistracted, undivided. God wants a people like that. Remember, his eyes roam to and fro about the church sanctuary, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those persons who love him with all their heart. Will you be one of those persons? Let's pray together.